Welcome to Vino Week, episode 67. Welcome to Vino 101, I'm Bill. Hello everybody, it's Al. We're up for another exciting episode of Wine Talk. Bill, lots, uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, got good stuff out there, but probably the biggest thing um, that I've seen of late is uh, this huge frost that they had in uh, France. And uh, actually, it wasn't just France, it was just kind of all around Europe. Uh, and they had this nice, um, warm, uh, reasonably mild um, end of the winter. And then all of a sudden, uh, they got this ridiculous, um, I, think, I think like four or five nights of frost. And uh, unfortunately for the French and a lot of people up in uh, the northern region of uh, Italy, um, it's been pretty devastating because uh, it's the beginning of the life for the vines when the young buds come out. And if you get um, you get these nights of uh, frost where it gets down to you know, below zero, um, or I guess below 32 degrees if you're here in the States, um, what do they say, minus six degrees Celsius? That's pretty cold. Yeah. Um, those buds basically get, uh, they get burned by the frost and they, they, they don't come back. What they do is once the frost goes away, they turn black and, and they die. And you don't get any fruit or you don't get any growth off of that bud area. So um, obviously, uh, if you got no, if, you, if, if your buds are frozen and you got no growth, uh, that means you're not, it's going to be pretty hard to make wine. So what they do is they go out in the vineyards, uh, you know, farmers are very resourceful and uh, they know, you know, they know that it's going to be frosty that night. So they go out and light candles, they burn uh, fires, uh, they start up helicopters. I don't think they have wind machines um, in That's, Europe. That, but, that, yeah, it certainly seems that way. You know, it seems that the first thing I, in those articles were everybody was referencing candles, which... I said, what do they think they're doing burning candles? But it, um, what I was reading, though, it's all about trying to raise the ground. Like, that helps the ground near, I, they said something like near ground temperature or something. But I didn't read anything about the wind machines. Yeah, they, I don't think they have wind machines. Like, we have those here. Um, and every once in a while, we have the frost. And you can hear them when they start up. They're loud. Um, but the idea is to keep the air circulating, and uh, you know, not not give it a chance to you know Get really cold. to be stagnant over the over the over the you know the crop. But um, uh, those candles, I don't know. I, I don't. I think they probably work to some degree, or they wouldn't be doing it. But they certainly do make for some very picturesque pictures. You know, Indeed. the pictures are, are pretty amazing. Indeed. And. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a bad it's a it's a bad scene. The last um, the last frost that uh, terribly affected um, uh, the people over France was and in Italy. I think it was 2017. So that was what four years ago. Yeah. They had a pretty bad frost. So that was a short harvest. So typically, what happens is you lose X number of buds. The vines do recover, and there's a second growth that pops out, but it's not as um, uh, what's the best way to say it? Um, it's not. It's not like the first crop of wheat. You do get grapes. Yeah. So, um, uh, but it, it definitely uh, impacts the quality of the harvest. Right. And I, um, I believe I read in the Decanter article that they had a sixteen. There was a bad frost, maybe. And it oh, was okay. a, um, and it was a like a fifty percent reduction in the yield, something like that. Um, I, it was a big impact. Let me say it that much. Um, yeah, that it's, it's just interesting to me that, you know, it seems like um, during this period uh, when the weather is not as consistent or as is a little bit more inconsistent, maybe might be the way, way to put it, it seems like this, the extremes are, are, are more so. I mean, because it used to be like they'd have a frost, it'd be like one night of frost, but, you know, this was like for several days. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, some pretty... Uh, uh, horrific temperatures for several days. So it's the severity of stuff. It's the heat cycle. The summers are hotter. The rains are more forceful. Um, the cold is more severe. It's like everything is longer. They're longer. Those periods are longer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that so is I the... That, uh, I hope that everyone can um, 
uh, you know, can bounce back from this. You know, it does actually have sort of kind of a positive effect because, you know, there's too much wine being made. That's general in the world. I mean, that's really funny you say that because as I was reading those articles, that's exactly what I was thinking. Is you know, there's just there's you know 50% reduction in the amount of wine that's able to be made. I'm like, well, that kind of helps the market. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's less wine. The price goes, well, and especially if it's, you know, Bordeaux premium wine. Um, a couple other things I found interesting is the different varietals and their, the, how the, you know, some, some varietals are, you know, really heavily impacted more so than others, like the Pinots. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the Pinots are going to survive better, um, mm-hmm. you know, versus sort of Chardonnay and, um, <clears throat> you know, even the Bordeaux. And then they were talking about the Black Frost, which is where it gets really, it basically sounds like frostbite for the vine. The, yeah. the plant turns black and, you know, and, and dies. So, you know, I don't know. In that instance, if you have a plant that goes to that kind of state, does it mean that you have to, you know, what does that mean? Is do you, is the, you know, do you just cut the vine off and graft graft stuff back on? I mean, I don't know how all that works, but it's got to be a nightmare. Yeah, and I think a lot of it probably also would depend on the age of the vine. Um, it probably the younger vines probably survive better. You know, this is just supposition on my part, but yeah. I, I think that they might have a tougher time. The younger um, ones, the ones that are more established, sure. Yeah, yeah. that so, makes sense. You know, ones that have been ground longer, and I don't know how that works. I mean, maybe the young vines too are more vibrant because they're younger. I don't, I don't know the biology of the plant that well. <clears throat> but yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy thing. But it's over now. But it was uh, it was a, it was all over the news um, a few a few days ago. So well, I mean, it's a big thing, and what in Europe has been hit by you know, you know, weather that has impacted. I mean, you think about, you know, they've had weather issues in Europe for many years in a row. They've had COVID, so the wine industry has kind of been taking a hit. You know, we've imposed the tariffs. Yeah. Um. You know, so there's a, you know, hasn't been easy. No, it hasn't been. People that people that aren't in this business and their other other businesses would probably say, "Hey, um, you know, there's a way to handle this. You just you know you just have crop insurance, bro. Just buy some insurance, and you know you don't have to worry about it." But the the fact of the matter is, you know, like you just mentioned, you've had all these other things, you know, tariffs, COVID, got uh, a big knock in your tourism. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking to cut corners, that may be one of those areas where you cut corners and you decrease the amount of insurance. And, and for sure, insurance costs have definitely uh, have probably uh, spiked and gone up. I have definitely. Uh, certainly have gone down. So uh, the farmers, in a, you know, they're, they're in between a rock and a hard place for sure on these things. And it's not just grapes, but, uh, you know, there's other crops that are out there. I mean, it's just farmers in general. There's people in these areas who are apples, growing apricots, you know, they're growing all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's all farmers in general are affected by this. If you got some money, I mean, sure, you could hire a helicopter. Have a helicopter circling around over your, uh, you know, but I mean, imagine how expensive that would be. I just like I, 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 I can't imagine. It'd be ridiculously expensive. So um, uh, I hope that that uh, situation remedies itself and the damage isn't as bad as they're saying it is. Because usually when it first happens, everyone's like, "Oh, it's the end of the world!" Oh my gosh! And then it turns out that you know they are able to salvage and have a pretty good crop in the end. So, so if that happens, man. I do. I do. Hey, did you, uh, how many wine aerators do you have in your house? I have one. <laughs> which, 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 which one, one do you have? It's a Vornado, I think it's called Vornado or something. What does it look like? I never even heard of that. It, it, it's just a cylinder. I think I bought it from you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I know, like I said earlier, I've sold a lot of those things, but I don't know any of it myself. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just making a joke. Because um, we were talking about that earlier. Um, 
Well, you know, it's funny. So, yeah, talk about, let's talk about the article, and then I'll give you some. So the, the, the post we're, we're looking at is uh, it's written by uh, Alder. And, uh, um, yes, he's been, he's one of, like, the longest uh, tenured uh, wine bloggers in the world. But he, uh, he does a rant about aerators. And uh, I'll let you take it from here, though. He basically well, says wine aerators have jumped the shark. That's the headline. Bill, take it away. Yeah, I, you know, the article, as, as he's writing the article, it seems like he continues to get spooled up about his um, hate. I'm just going to say hate of of wine aerators because it, you know, he, uh, you know, he's making the case that these things really don't do anything and people spend a lot of money on them. And the, what the market was $336 million dollars I think last year and if it's on track for the growth rate it's going to be like half a billion in the not too distant future and he's you know his cases they don't do anything and if you really need air in your wine you should do what people have been doing for centuries which is uncork the bottle like that's a good first step um, if you need more wine pour it in the glass have a little patience um, he even goes so far as to kind of rant on decanters he talks about the lemonade pitchers he buys, and he can buy for one famous brand um, glass crystal pitcher. He can buy like five of the lemonade pitchers, and he talks a little bit about how he's dropped the decanters. And so he, um, I think the, I you know the overall point of the article is well taken. You know that if you need air on your wine there's really well-known ways to do that that have been done for for a long time and certain wines do need to do that they get better with that oxidation and the way you do that is put it in your glass and or put it in a vessel so it can get it and leave it there for a, a little bit and you can drink it so um but i i was really amused as he started to incorporate some you know you know some pretty base descriptive words for the various types of aerators that he has um, in, including the word for fecal matter which he <laughs> used in the article and lined out and then he used in a title later down so it just seems like he was really letting go of some some issues he had with the, uh, with the aerators but the net net is they don't do anything and we're buying a bunch of them but that's you know there's so many industries that are like that as consumers i you know pets come to mind immediately the amount of money people spend on their pets that aren't like their that aren't their care right and i'm not trying to make a comparison between wine and pets don't don't get me wrong i'm just saying that there are things that we buy um, that really don't have any basis for their efficacy um and we spend a lot of money on uh i i will say that the people that i know that use aerators or have used them in the past they fundamentally believe that their tasting experience has been better because it's been put through that vessel. Yeah, I, I, you know, what can I say? Right. Well, I mean, what can I say? If your perception is it's better, it's better. Yeah. 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 You know. Yep. Um, We have a little thing that looks like a. Here's a picture. Of what it kind of looks like. If I can, copy it, I'll send it to you. Um. But it's, it's, they're nothing. Um, that's the one that I just chatted to you. The one that we kind of looks like we have. Okay. Um, Let me check that out. Oh, that's, that's a Venturi. Yeah. Ah, there you go. That's the right word. Yeah. Yeah, I probably sold it to you. Sorry, man. Somebody, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, the the person that's a heavy user of it swears by it. Okay. <laughs> I don't like that wine in the glass, but after through the Venturi, it's a lot better. Great. Yeah. 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 That's okay. awesome. Yeah. So um, that's that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the the part I like in this whole thing was he gets into the and you kind of alluded to this a little bit. He gets into the carbon footprint. Of all uh, of the that, things, I guess true. this doesn't really, go with I, the pets I, I, also. Yeah, but he's talking about you know <laughs> the carbon footprint can't be small for all these things are being made. 
And, you know, basically, you're, you're talking about a ton of plastic and a lot of dead trees to package it all in. Nice. <laughs> Pretty to the point. Yeah, I mean, isn't there an island of like plastic bottles swirling around the ocean somewhere that continues yeah. to grow and like you know can't like you, like you can't get it? There's it's really hard to get or something. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty I mean, what are we gonna do with the plastic? <laughs> I don't know what I you know I don't know what I I I don't think we've used that thing for uh, at least two years. Well, not you know we're we're poking a little bit a little fun, but the fact of the matter is, you know some wines do benefit from aeration, and actually I would say I would say most wines benefit from aeration, because that that action of the, the wine inter, interacting with the air actually improves the wine especially if it's a younger wine you know you got a 2018 Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley you know you're going to want to pour that in a decanter you're going to want to put it in your glass and vigorously swirl it around and it's definitely going to improve in 30 minutes to an hour it's just it's going to show better all right I and the you know here's the capper of this the second comment down is somebody that said that they used to frequent a wine bar and they loved the Venturi in the wine bar and it became like Starbucks with customers placing orders for their glass of cab that was two-thirds poured through the Venturi and one-third poured (laughs) regularly. Jeez. And Alder's comment is, oh, God, I hope you were joking. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Problem. I hope it was too. Yeah, the comments are good. The next comment is all caps. Excellent rant. Could not agree more. So you know, there's, yeah, it's funny. So I mean, I I'm trying to think. You know, I've been uh, in the in the wine world for quite a while, and I'm trying to think if I ever. I don't think I've ever. I've have I have decanters now. Don't get me wrong. I definitely have decanters, but decanters they serve two purposes. They also they let you know they serve the ultimate purposes. You get to pour the wine out of the bottle into the decanter, and that action gives the wine some air. Yep. And if it's a younger, you know, like tighter you wine, when I say tight, I mean it's not really expressing itself uh, aromatically at that point. It's going to help it um, to that to that end by doing that. But the other function of a decanter is. If you're having people over and you're, you know, you're all sitting around the table, decanters look nice on the table. Yeah, it's a presentation. The presentation is, you know, when you're in a nice big meal, a big meal, you're in a, you know, at a meal where you're trying to put on a nice display or show. I mean, part of, part of eating, part of, you know, having a meal is the presentation of the food. Yes. I mean, there is, it does, you know, if you just throw it on a plate and stack it on there and mush everything together, it, 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 it does have an effect on, you know, what, what people think about what they're going to eat and it will affect your impression of the taste. And if it's presented nicely, it can change the, you know, just think about vegetables with kids, you know, you pile a bunch of carrots and stuff onto a plate and the kids are like, nah, whatever, versus stacking them like a log cabin mm-hmm. and putting it, you know, like the carrot stack in front of a kid. They're like, Oh, look, what is this? You so, know, that I'm trying to be, give an example of how a presentation can make a difference. And same thing with wine, you know, smacking a bottle on the table versus pouring it in a lovely vessel in a little ceremony, you know, lends credence to the special, you know, how the wine might be special or, the event might, you know, the dinner or, you know, the meal might be special. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of it isn't just for changing the characteristics of the wine, but also for the presentation. I agree. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, and it's true. And decanters, you can get lost in all the different types of decanters. I just have the typical ones. I like, mine's all about sturdy, and it's also about functionality. But um, they definitely, yeah. uh, and they're easier to, it's, you know, it's just, it, it, it just looks good on the table. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm the, I, you know, the small, small ones, and I use them all the time. 
I I don't need the Venturi. I like the little decanter. It's too late to return it to the shop, Bill. I'm sorry, you're not getting your money back. I, you know, that thing that thing has other uses. I'm not sure what they are right now, but I'm sure there's some some chemical chemical thing process I could do that is probably worth keeping on keeping on with it. I don't know. And now, um, you, know how they, you know how they say in the um, in the in the sports world now for a little break in the action. That's right. That's right. Fair enough. The one Did last thing I want to say about that article, though, that's really worthwhile is, okay. you know, you don't have to go out and buy a fancy wine decanter. No. If you have a, you know, a vessel that can hold it, that's good enough. And so, you know, he Alder talks about these lemonade pitchers he has. We have a flower vase that's got a really nice shape that mm-hmm. we've used before that looks awesome and you know can you use that for a decanter anyway go forth and decant (laughs) people people. that looks like that 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 has a lovely color yeah yeah yeah. it does it does have a nice color it's like a little kind of a nice light gold yep yep what is that that you're having there it is um it's shorepe what is that uh, it is a. Uh, it's from Germany. Um, is that a variety? It's from a town of Bad Durkheim. Yeah. You're probably familiar with that town, but it's from the um, the Rheinfalz region of the Rheinfalz. Um, the Rheinfalz is in uh, southwest Germany, as all the the grape wine growing regions are all in southwest Germany, but but Rheinfalz is in that area. It's bordered on the south and the west by France. So it's almost like um, an extension of Alsace, because you know, and they probably had all these border conflicts, you know, because any any of those uh, areas that are on the border, they they go through a lot of military, <laughs> a lot of military stuff. But um, if you here's the bottle, the, can you see that? Yeah. The family coat of arms is a is a mythical unicorn. So it's a very interesting label. Yeah, it's prominently displayed here, right on the front, the top third, top half of the label. So this operation, and that's I don't know if you can see the name. It's Sherebe. Sherebe is spelled S C H E U R E B E, and uh, it's, it's pronounced Sherebe, which will probably scare a lot of people off. <laughs> but it's not that it's not that bad. Sherebe. Um, it's operated by uh, the, the winery uh, property is operated by Jan Emil, his wife Karen, and their mother Doris. So um, they grow 37 acres of Riesling. Um, no, they, excuse me, they grow 37 acres in total. Uh, most of that is Riesling. And then they also um, grow some Weissburgunder. Weissbegunder uh, is Pinot Blanc for us Americans. And then they also grow some Spatebegunder. And Spatebegunder is Pinot Noir. But their house specialty is this wine, the Chirette. And it's named after a great breeder, George Show. And it's a cross between Riesling. I did a little research on this. Um, they're still trying to figure out what it's a cross between, but I think it's a cross between Riesling and Bouquetrebe. And uh, they used to think it was a cross between Riesling and Sylvaner, but it's not. Um, the bottom line is uh, junk way ahead. This is something to get if you're into Asian food and if you like curries. Oh, really? It's fantastic. It, yeah. You know, so, I've, I've, I've heard recently a lot of people sort of saying Riesling is, you know, like the perfect, I had just saw this show with young, younger people who were eating chicken tikka masala, which, you know, I, you know, we could talk, you could talk a long time. You're a about fan. <laughs> well, yeah. And they were saying, Hey, you know, Riesling is the, they had a sommelier on a younger sommelier who was like, yeah, this is a perfect wine to pair with, uh, um, 
you know, with the curries and Asian food. And it sounds like this, this, this might even have a little more complexity that can add to uh, some interesting pairing there, huh? The only thing it, it, it um, you know, like a true Riesling, the one thing it doesn't have, it doesn't have as much acidity as I would prefer in the Rieslings, but it's got plenty of it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's dry. So the nose is, like I said, it's got a medium gold color. The nose is like really full of fruit. It's very floral. Um, you get a little minerality, which is that tingling uh, that I get on the tongue, but it's got the zippy lemon lime lip smacking deliciousness to it. So, how, yeah, keep going. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was like, how, how did you, how did you pick and find that wine? Like where? Well, I picked and found it the way I normally do. When I went into the wine shop, I just picked up six bottles that I don't know anything about. Okay. But this bottle in particular, this Cherebe, the reason I picked it out was um, one of the people that I interact with on Twitter has suggested it. And that's how I picked it out. Gotcha. I think he's kind of figured out my palate a little bit. Yeah. Um, and he's figured out that I like to explore and do different things, and he does also. So we uh, give each other... Uh, Suggestions. Um, suggestions on wines to try, and uh, this is a home run. But like I said, it doesn't have that crunchy fruit like a Riesling would have, that, that really super crispy thing. But because it, it's just definitely it's more full and round. So I'll tell you this, when I when I poured a glass of this, we went out, and it might have been in the effect of we just maybe had done a whole bunch of work, because we just had it, we had it yesterday evening. So we're out in the yard working yesterday. We didn't do a whole bunch of work yesterday. It was like a light run for us because usually we're out there for four or five hours, but we're only out there for three hours. We're a little lazy. But when we got back home, um, we got cleaned up. I poured a glass of this for my wife, and she was on the couch just kind of relaxing. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, just put it there. And I put it down. And then like about a minute later, she goes, what is this? <laughs> she goes, this is incredible. So she goes, how many of these do we have? And I had to tell her, you know, well, just one. I was just trying it out. She's like, well, can we get some more? Order a case. <laughs> so anyway, there's a big hit with the wine. She loved it. It's um, it's 13% alcohol, so it's got it's got a nice little kick to it. And um, it's uh, they got fairy green on here, but more importantly, what I looked at when I when I you know I always say this: look on the back label, look for the importer. The importer is the German wine collection. They're out of Carlsbad, California. So I went on their site and I looked at some of the, the wines that they import from Germany and they support some of the best of the best. So they definitely know what they're doing. And um, this is a great wine. So, and it's uh, 18 bucks, 18 bucks a bottle. I highly recommend you give this a try. You open this up with some friends on a nice little spring day you know, out there on the back patio, this bottle's going to be gone like that. It sounds lovely. And the weather's getting warmer. So, you know, yesterday was one of the warmest days I remember. Um, yeah, yeah. Getting some, uh, I've been spending some time down in your old, uh, your old neck of the woods, Silicon Valley, the past couple of weeks. And it's been nice and toasty down there. There was yeah, one day when it was in the 90s. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Ouch. I wonder if they used to grow uh, prunes and palms yes. and stuff down there. Yeah. Gets, gets hot. Gets really warm. Well, you know, we've talked before about the migration of these crops, kind of, you know, from, you know, south, continually go north. Mm -hmm. You know, we, uh, what we, did, we, we haven't talked about, we, you know, we didn't talk about the Bollinger, Bollinger purpose uh, purchase of, um, <clears throat> And it's escaping me right now. Um, Ponzi Vineyards. Yeah. Um, but the reason I, I'm mentioning that is in the article they talk about, you know, when they started, you know, the Ponzi started in the Willamette Valley. There were only four, you know, wineries there and they were growing those, you know, they were growing the the crops that you would find, um, you know, fruit crops and hay. And now it's mostly wine. And people, at, at the time they started growing up there, we're talking about, I think they started in the 70s. 69. Yeah. People probably thought that they were crazy. Yep. And they were like, you can't even ripen grapes up here, dude. Yeah. Like, what are you trying to grow grapes in, up here In the 70s, 
I've, in the article they say, and I don't know if they give you the, the date, the exact date, but, you know, in the 70s, and maybe it could have been in the 80s, UC Davis came out and just said, can't grow grapes there. Too cold. Yeah. Which, you know, turned out not to be the case. But, you know, you got to love people who, you know, they were... He, um, he was in Dick Ponds. He was an engineer in California, went to Bordeaux, showed up in 69 in a flatbed truck with two cats, a dog, a canoe, a piano, and four barrels of homemade wine inspired by his Burgundy vacation. So, so many, many people, people have uh, gone that road, man. They got hit by the Burgundy bug. I'm going to try to do that. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, this is like the last paragraph where there were main crops or hazelnuts, cherries, apples, and hay. And experts at UC Davis claimed that Oregon was too cold to grow Pinot Noir, but the Ponzi thought otherwise. Pays, I bet you there was a lot of hay in that mix. So you know what? The predominant crop. I was there in September of last year. I will tell you there is still a lot of hay grown in the Willamette Valley. <laughs> so is it um, is it uh, Bollinger or is it Bollinger? I don't know. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm a Gringo American, so you know Bollinger to me. And if I go to the winery, I'll just let them pronounce it for me. There we go. I'm not sure which one it was. But anyway, um, uh, Bollinger or Bollinger, they also own Ayala Champagne, which I'm sure you've had before, which is a great brand. Yeah. And um, uh, they own um, a cognac producer also. Yeah. I mean, you know, this winery is not, I mean, 30,000 cases of Ponzi. So, I mean, I mean, it's not like a... You know, it's not massive, but it's you know, nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, I haven't had uh, I haven't had a Ponzi wine, so I'm uh, I'm I'm at a loss. I, I have not had a Ponzi wine, so I just have to. Uh, but I think it's cool that um, it just shows you how the world is evolving. These 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 uh, the the young ladies that sold it, their parents, you know, got out of the business what like 15 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, so they, so, they, so they've, they've been, you know, they've been, been running the business for a while, and they're like, yeah, hey, you know, it's, it's time, time to cash in. Thirty years ago, they handed control of the winery to their, um, to Anna Maria and uh, Luisa, who okay. are, you know, who did the, you know, did the Bol- uh, Bollinger transaction, however you say gotcha. that. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, um, cool. but so that's, that's a, a big operation. operation. Um, you know, like you said, 40,000 uh, cases, is, uh, that's probably got to be one of the larger operations in Willamette Valley. So, so Bollinger's running up against uh, Kendall Jackson, because Kendall Jackson owns a lot of, they own a lot of acreage up there also. They do, and they've been continuing to make investments there, um, you know, uh, which we'll probably continue to, you know, we'll see. You know there could be fallout after COVID and the um, and the and the smoke. You know fallout meaning, you know more consolidation because people, you know might have you know vineyards or, you know labels that they just can't sustain and you know these bigger companies can absorb that. So it'll be interesting to see that what what happens with regard to that over the, you know the next you know six to twelve months. Um, it certainly seems like things are opening around here in Sonoma County. Coming yeah, out of the COVID. Uh, you know, like, like I said, I've been spending a little time in the Silicon Valley, so I've been driving, driving on the roads. And um, you can definitely see the change with the number of vehicles that are on the road now. It's a, it's a market change for yep. sure. Uh, there's lots of people out there going to Best Buy or what they're doing. Yeah, uh, just trying to get to work, probably. I don't know. Do my, uh, uh, my son that works for an IT company down in Silicon Valley. Um, Big search engine company. Notice that their operation that they have in Australia, they're um, they're they're allowing people now to go in if they like to the um, they can go into the campus Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays if they like. Interesting. And um, he's uh, he's mentioned that uh, they there's been some inklings of them saying that maybe. They could start doing something like that in, over here in the states, and you know he's been working at home now for a while. The thought of getting in his car. Yeah, it's these like taking transportation to work. 
Are you kidding me? He's like, I don't think so. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It'll be interesting to see so much of the those organizations rely on collaboration, and so it'll be very interesting to see how that pans out. Um, there's all kinds of, you know, this COVID thing's caused all kinds of migratory patterns to happen that are not usual. So there are people who are, I think Wall Street Journal did an article about this last week where there's a bunch of people leaving places like Silicon Valley, but there's also people who have always wanted to live in, you know, more urban area or maybe go from, come from, you know, out east to the west that haven't been able to because of the, you know, the prices and the density and all of that. But because of people coming and going or leaving, you know, the urban areas, which is definitely a, you know, documented thing in California, there are definitely a lot of Californians who are moving around, some of them moving out of urban areas, but there are people migrating in. Um, and, you know, haven't been able to, because of the need to be in an urban area pre COVID were priced out, but because of the, because of COVID, you know, sort of relaxing the need to be in an office, you know, the prices have come down. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I also think when they turn the whole, you know, the more, you know, we're printing a lot of money. We're spending a lot of money as a government. We're borrowing a lot. And, you know, there's been people that haven't had to pay their mortgages for quite a while or rents. And, you know, all of that's going to come due soon. And it'll be interesting to see what, I mean, there could be, there'll be market ramifications to that. Absolutely. The, um, you know, the, the states, I mean, we all know this, the states, you know, they have to adhere to a budget. Whereas, you know, the federal government, they print money because because they can. They own a yeah. printer. So, yeah. Well, they own the printer, right? I mean, we're the yeah. world's reserve currency. Like, you know, that's like, you know, Amex giving themselves an, their own, you know, black card. Here you yeah. go. No limit. Get whatever you want to buy a jet. No problem. Yeah. So, you good? Uh, yeah, there's that. So I don't know. Um, we discussed this a little bit before um, um, we started. Uh, we want to. You know, we got a kind of a little uh, TV miniseries thing working here with regards to sexual misconduct. Yeah, so you we have, to, we have get a, into that or not? Well, we should, uh, we should mention that it's wine related, uh, sort of. That well, the the scion of a wine family, right? Yeah. The thing um, about the story that gets me, Bill, is that we've had over the past, you know, four, five, six years. We've discussed many things that have happened in the restaurant business, with restaurant tours that have used their position of influence and power within their industry, within their restaurants, to um, abuse their subordinates, let's say. And and there's been just countless examples of that in Bad the behavior. business and in the entertainment business. But we haven't really had one in the wine business. Which is actually both of those businesses tied together. Yeah, and then and and kind of knowing that we, um, you know, we there's local gossip. It's probably the best thing to say about you know various people's bad behavior. I think that happens anywhere, but you know this this the story that we're talking about is Dominic Fapoli, who is the mayor of a town called Windsor. Um, which is just a little bit north of uh, north and west of Santa Rosa, and it uh, you know he was he got national press when um, the fires happened in that area last year. You know he he was a pretty activist mayor and you know made some decisions that garnered some press of you know very sort of favorable opinion locally and. He's recently been accused of some pretty bad sexual misconduct. However, what's interesting recently, and this was last week, recently he's gone on the attack and there's even more scandal emerging um, with with him saying he's been abused in certain as in with with in a certain relationship. So, you know, it's an unfolding story, but um, 
it's it is as Al says a going to be a like a made for TV miniseries in terms of the complexity. The local paper is embroiled in uh, the scandal as well because they've kind of talked favorably about uh, about Dominic and um, in fact so much so that they you know their news editor is writing you know op-eds about you know trying to claim the paper's independence and their you know their um, um, you know their independent journalistic nature so it, it'll be interesting to see how all this unfolds for real yeah basically they, they said they dropped the ball and, you know, we're not going to drop the ball again. As yeah, we'll fact, see. We're going to dig in a little bit deeper. We're going to hire more people. Okay. That, that was their stance a few days ago. Yeah, okay. Now, their stance today is a little bit more tempered, and it's, yes. it's, it's moved a little bit more towards the center. But, you know, like Bill said, this is an unfolding story. Yeah. You know, something that's interesting to note, Bill, I don't know if you remember, but and you, you do remember because you, you don't forget things, but... Um, so let's be clear on that. Um, the uh, the Fofoli's the family the the, the, the family was actually in the news uh, several years ago uh, for something that was uh, uh, you know they they were just like on the periphery of this, but the whole family was involved. The winery, let's say, and you remember the guy there was an investor in Silicon Valley that invested in a winery. And uh, he got into a tough with the guy that he was giving the money to, and um, he ended up uh, the, the the winery owner ended up chasing him through the vineyard and uh, yes. executed him in the vineyard. Yes, that. Well, yeah, one of the small facts about that was another one of the investors in that little triad was the the Popoli family. Popoli, excuse me. Popoli. Is so that, is that so that's, I mean, that's just an aside, but, you know, in the news again, but now in the news in a, in a much less flattering uh, light, for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, the other, the other reason that this was, well, one of the reasons that this is news here is the reputation that Dominic has developed and the persona he's developed, you know, has a very favorable reputation as um, as a mayor, um, you know, even when COVID, you know, he did things when COVID happened too to help the restaurants in his area. Um, you know, partnering with another celebrity here, Guy Fieri, um, and so you know, he was sort of had that kind of exposure already, and then to have this kind of scandal, you know, definitely, you know, I bet you one thing, the traffic at, at uh, uh, web traffic to the press demos probably increased. Um, you know, this oh, kind of, sure. you know, this kind of scandal sells ads. So, you yeah, know. I'm, out of, I'm out of free articles, man. I can't, uh, oh, I'm yeah. Like I'm, yeah. Now, now I got to find a way around or I'm going to have to freaking subscribe. You know, geez. There's a way around. <laughs> okay. My IT guys got me covered. Right? Yeah, that's right. A <laughs> little, little bit of Google and it can be your friend. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, it's it in, in any of these in any you know in any of these instances is kind of you know. So first of all, if any of this behavior is substantiated and true, you know, I I like I don't understand. It's just you know, it's it, yeah, it's, it's, it's it, it, it is twenty twenty one, right? Yeah, and it's just not. It's anyway. I I do not condone that behavior and people that you know. It it is it is criminal misconduct. You know, no, at of its, the high, of the, uh, yeah, it's, it's the worst. It, it, but you know, you know, to, to for us to think that this doesn't happen, in, you know, in the world of business, where people that are in a position of power, you know, that's true, exercise their influence on their underlings is you it's know, not what's naive. Being, right? we're, we're being naive. Yeah, it's naive to think that that doesn't happen. And number two, if you ever find yourself in one of those positions, you know, you have to be pretty thoughtful about that. Yeah. You know, I mean, even it, and I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the criminal sexual misconduct. I'm just talking about the day to day. You know, you can say things that can be completely misinterpreted, not in that context. You know, in a business context that can lead you where you don't want to go, and your people. Okay, so, now here, here's here's where my personal opinion is going to come in. 
you know, because yeah, everyone is, you know, in the beginning, you know, I listened to the local newspaper, uh, the local uh, news radio show, excuse me, um, yesterday, uh, KSRO, and uh, they had several uh, council members on that were saying he should resign. Just throwing him under the bus. Yeah, and um, also, I mean, there was one council member that, uh, you know, I'm not going to mention the name, but she... She basically says she was not surprised in the least that this had happened, that this could possibly have happened. And she wasn't, um, you know, she wasn't going to give any more, you know, uh, information about it, but she said it doesn't surprise her at all, um, these allegations. So, um, you know, there was just a, just a, a cavalcade of people running to the fore saying this guy should resign, he should resign, she should resign. And there was silence, there was people demonstrating outside his home. Um, there were all these things going on. He just waited it out and he put out a statement um, last night, I believe. And that statement is pretty condemning. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's we'll go into the details, but it's basically, hey, I didn't have anything to do with this. I know people that have been subjected to this. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a part of this. I haven't been uh, uh, charged with any crime, let alone convicted of anything. I'm not stepping down as mayor. You know. Um, went on the attack. And then he, yeah, then he went on the attack and he accused the person that wrote the article of um, having you know, an axe to grind. To put his head yeah. on a stick. Uh, to run him down with social media. You know, and it has, um, and has like, you know, here's, has examples of what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, he's, he, so he's definitely, he's definitely, uh, you know, putting up, uh, so it'll be, it'll be an interesting story. It'll be an interesting story to follow, but it's, it's, uh, in contrast, it's much more different than the Cuomo thing because Cuomo has basically been accused of saying, Hey, you look cute in that dress. And, uh, you know, maybe we should go out and have some drinks sometime, right? Versus, this yeah. is a, these, are, these are much more serious allegations. They are. You know? And you've got both of them saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going I'm to stay now. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight this out. Yeah. Whereas in the past, 10 years ago, you've had public officials that have been accused of things that have, as soon as yep. this pops out, they resign and they're out. So it's interesting to know that that little that little counterplay between the two. So uh, you know, our our um, our mores and values and how we view these things and what is expected are changing. I think, as far as the wine world goes, because you have people that come out, they go to a winery. Um, they have drinks. They may be there for a dinner. Uh, you know, alcohol um, lowers the curtain for some people. There's the propensity for things of this nature to happen. I mean, yeah, it just it, yeah. it just does. It can't, yeah. right? You're putting, you know, all of it, all ever, all of the actors in those situations are putting themselves at risk in a bad situation. Hey, Al has a vibrant conversation on Twitter. Um, if you want to engage on the day to day. Like what you hear on this podcast, you can talk on a daily basis to Al on the Twitter in the Twitter sphere, and that's twitter.com slash vino101net. Um, you can always email us at vino101.net, so info at vino101.net. You can leave us a comment on a website, vino101.net. Um, and if you download the podcast at your favorite podcast tool, and and um, you can always leave a comment. And last, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. You guys got no excuse for not finding us. We're out there. We're there. We're reachable. Cheers. Cheers, everybody.